all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens, host of Southern Remedy for Women, here to warn you about an upcoming epidemic of license plate envy. Yes, it's coming after you see someone driving around with a new MPB car tag. It's the latest way you can support Mississippi Public Broadcasting continue the mission of educating, informing, and entertaining Mississippians. This epidemic is easily remedied by visiting mpbonline.org slash car tag to pre-order yours today. Today, Republicans convene in Cleveland for the first day of their national convention. NPR and PBS NewsHour are here, too. We're teaming up to bring you live coverage each night. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Eiffel for speeches, interviews, and analysis live from the arena. Special coverage of the Republican National Convention from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. Tonight at 7 on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Thousands of law enforcement officials from across the country are in place on this first day of the Republican National Convention. NPR's Bracton Booker says security is of even greater concern following the events of recent weeks in which anger over police shootings has led to deadly attacks on law enforcement officers. Ohio is an open carry state, so licensed gun owners can carry their firearms in public. Jeff Larson is the CEO of the Republican National Convention and does not agree with those calling for a temporary ban on firearms outside the convention site. The open carry laws in Ohio haven't changed recently. It's been in, f- in effect for quite some time. They've had a number of big events that, that have taken place with open carry without any issues. Larson adds he feels good about the current security plan and there will be plenty of law enforcement to move in if things get disorderly. Bracton Booker, NPR News, Cleveland. The Marine Corps veteran who killed three police officers in Baton Rouge yesterday reportedly sought to change his name last year. Gavin Eugene Long was also believed to be part of a predominantly African-American group that supports separation from state and federal governments. The officers were killed weeks after two members of law enforcement fatally shot a black man after he was pinned to the pavement. That encounter was caught on cell phone video and was followed within days by another police killing in Minnesota and an ambush on officers in Dallas. In remarks before conference of black law enforcement officers in Washington, Attorney General Loretta Lynch quoted remarks by one of the recently slain officers, Montrell Jackson. Even if we are met with discord and we are met with people who don't understand, even if we are met with those who seek to try and pin blame on something that is really so difficult to discern, we must not let hatred infect our hearts. Lynch says federal law enforcement agents from the FBI, the U.S. Marshals Service, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives are on the scene in Baton Rouge. Baltimore prosecutors have failed to secure a conviction in the trial of a fourth officer who was charged in connection with Freddie Gray's death. Today, a judge acquitted Lieutenant Brian Rice on manslaughter and other charges surrounding Gray's death, which occurred a week after he was severely injured in the back of a police van during his arrest last year. Rice was the most senior of the six officers charged in connection 
with the case. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie says he is disappointed but has no discontent over Donald Trump's decision to choose someone else as a running mate. Last night, Christie told supporters that he did not lobby for the position but was honored to be considered. Trump chose Indiana Governor Mike Pence, an evangelical Christian. The Dow is up 28 points at 18,544. This is NPR. The University of California, Berkeley community is mourning the loss of a student who went missing in France after the Nice terror attack. An intensive search was launched to find 20-year-old Nicholas Leslie, who has now been confirmed as one of at least 84 people killed in the tragedy. From member station KQED in San Francisco, Anna Tentakoulis has the latest. Friends say Nicholas Leslie had a big smile and a big heart, especially when it came to the environment. He grew up in San Diego, where he would spend hours volunteering to pick up trash along the shoreline. At Berkeley, Leslie's passion for the world around him led him to declare a major in environmental science. William Morrow is UC Berkeley's student body president. He saw the bigger picture and cared about what his impact would be on the world. Leslie had just been accepted into Berkeley's elite Haas School of Business for the fall, and the study abroad program he was enrolled in in France was just about to wrap up. A vigil will be held at UC Berkeley later this afternoon. For NPR News, I'm Anna Tentakoulis in San Francisco. An investigator looking into Russian doping reportedly has found that the country's cheating program directed by the government, according to the investigation, resulted in more than 300 positive results that were withheld. Those positive tests involved 28 sports and lasted from 2011, at least through last year's World Swimming Championships. The investigator is not making any recommendations for the future of the Russian team at the Rio Olympics. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Novo Nordisk, whose website, actfordiabetes.com, is an advocacy tool for patients with diabetes, people at risk of diabetes, and family members and friends of people affected by diabetes. More at actfordiabetes.com. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning. 
Good morning from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit, the show all about finding and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. I'm Debbie Miner, professor of medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we have back as our guest, Dr. David Elkin from UMC, and then Tyler Grantham, our pharmacy experts, join us, and Emma Willoughby. I'll let Emma introduce herself in a minute. But today we're kind of, uh, as I introduced last week, we're going all over the place a little bit. We're going to be talking about our health and how somewhat individuals in approaching their health adopt behaviors or fail to adopt behaviors and some of the things that we think about that. Sometimes we think about things globally and when we fine tune it, it's just not really maybe the right choice for individuals, but how we approach those things. So we want you to chime in. We want you to chime in. I think we're going to have some a little bit provocative uh, thoughts today, maybe share some personal experiences, and we'd love to hear yours. So, Dr. Elkin, I'll let you tell us your your area of expertise. So tell our audiences, which I, I know the things I rely on you for a lot. <laughs> um, well, I'm a, by training a child psychologist, and I work at UMC um, in the Center for Advancement of Youth. Okay, so, so I work there at UMC, and I see patients clinically, and I um, take care of the kids as they come in from across the state. Okay, so so mainly kids, kids. Kids and adolescents, teenagers, yeah. So, Emma, tell us a little bit about your background. I've already introduced you a little bit, and I've already introduced Tyler. All right, uh, yeah. I work at the Center for Obesity Research at UMC. My background's in sociology, and uh, I'm really interested in understanding health disparities throughout the state and the South. Um, Sometimes we have some very, I said, we have some <laughs> some discussions about yeah. things that come up and things that aren't really as they appear. Exactly. And uh, maybe in the context of behaviors right. and uh, how those just aren't uh, aren't as we see. No. But let's let's just talk about some of those those, those things. And, and of course, Dr. Elkin and um, and Tyler's looked at a lot of things too, as far as the background for this. But let's let's think about like kids, kids and and behaviors. It's really hard sometimes to to sort through. I mean, we assume things. We assume things um, that kids do are caused by different things. I know Emma brought up something just last week about a comment about kids and eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's not always, it's a, it's a lot deeper. It's a lot, lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So we'd love for our audience to chime in uh, as we're kind of in this very general discussion. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So Dr. Elkin, kids and their behaviors. Uh, is that a combination of the what they're born with innately or is it which is which is the broader influence environment so let's let's think about kids and eating behaviors kids and eating behaviors so we have a lot of discussion about that in the context of childhood obesity and our higher rates of obesity in the state and of course we know that if you're if a child is overweight they typically grow up to be an adult that is overweight uh, and then it's very, very hard to change behaviors when you're an adult. Very, very hard. So for kids, is that it, those behaviors, can, can they be modified? Can they be modified? 
Well, I would hope so. Otherwise, my profession is down too. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter work. Um, to answer your question, you know, how much of it is the child? How much of it is the environment? Um, the answer is yes. It's both. Yes, both. Yeah. So it's like asking a question, how much of water is hydrogen? How much is oxygen? Well, two hydrogen, one oxygen, but oxygen is a lot larger than hydrogen. In the end, it's a silly question. You can't have water without both. So you can't have a child without the genetics. Uh, this child comes into the world and the world influencing the child. And it gets very, very difficult, although we're making some strides in this front, it becomes very difficult to pull those pieces apart. So kids can get born with, a, I use this very generically, a genetic load, let's say, for obesity. And then they grow up in a household where overeating is common. And so they're at risk for being overweight as a child and later on as an adult. But there are also instances where a child may have um, sort of a genetic load for obesity, but grow up in a household where um, overeating is not practiced or things like that. Again, it gets very murky. Um, it, the bottom line is we can't, at this stage, thankfully, influence genetics. Mm-hmm. And so what we can influence are the behaviors around the, the person and try to get them to engage in behaviors that are healthy and will help that child grow into an adult and live a happy, healthy life for all of his or her life. So, Emma, what are some of those things that you have in, in some of your research lately that that in, in looking at maybe even trends across the South or our state in particular, some of those things that seem to be assumptions that that aren't always true? I think the there's a, a common mis- misperception that fast food or consuming junk food automatically makes you to be overweight or obese. And so you kind of have this idea that if you're consuming this food, you're overweight. Also, if you're overweight, you got that way because you consume bad food. And um, I think that's not really reflected in empirical data. So that's kind of interesting to think about. It's like, why do we have this misperception? And uh, I think one of the one of the one thing that we can do is uh, start recognizing that Lots of people have lots of different lives and different norms and standards and um, different ways about being he- thinking about being healthy. And also remembering that all of us want to live happy, healthy lives, too. But we all have to take different ways to get there. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of interesting moving forward in, in obesity research is just meeting with different people and understanding where they're coming from and working with that and seeing how we can in, uh, include um, health dialogue from medical literature into their lives, but without really challenging what's going on. Um, but I don't think it's just individual. It, individual behavior has a big influence, but also we have to think about where are people sort of situated and in different circumstances. What's their financial background? What's their education like? Um, where do they live? Um, but I think it's also to remember that we all, you know, have a priority of being healthy for our families. Well, and do you do you agree with that, Dr. Elkin? I mean, Absolutely. do most people? Do you think most people, like most adults, um, are are is that background ingrained in kids? Because I mean, teenagers most of the time think they're invincible. But but at what point do people start being concerned about their health, or or at what point because does that become something relevant to them? Well, it's a great question. First of all, I'll answer your first question. Okay. Um, <laughs> Emma's smack on, and she is, she's right. So what you want to do is tailor anything around that individual. Um, you don't want to, you know, there's not one size fits all with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to make sure you meet that individual where he or she is. Um, but in terms of um, your question is a good one. When do we as humans become more aware 
of healthy habits or the ill effects of healthy habits, I'm not sure. Um, and I would say that um, that probably starts around adolescence, honestly. Um, adolescence, of course, is decreasing in our culture. Um, it's going down now to about age nine in females. Wait and a minute. I, when you say adolescence is decreasing, you <laughs> you don't mean the number of adolescents are decreasing. I mean the you age, mean the right, age, right, the age sorry. of definition of adolescence Correct. is decreasing. So, I mean, you start becoming aware of bodily changes and uh, how the folks around you look or act. Um, you know, kids that are three or four, they really don't have the ability to what we'd call um, takes another perspective. So if you ask a, a four-year-old, you know, how do you think it made you feel when you hit your sister? Um, she might say, I have no idea, but it made me feel great. It made me feel good. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, as they get older and develop, the brain develops, they can take someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. And then they start to say, she may see me in this light or this way. And that's why I think at that age is when it starts. Yeah. Well, and it seems like it seems like at that age is when uh, people start, ad- well, I don't want to say adopting behaviors, but but are engaging in behaviors that are specific. Maybe they go on their, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, because on this show we have talked about celiac disease and and gluten and the I mean the tremendous impact that can have on your health. But they go on their gluten free craze, or they go on their oh I've got to drink this much water in a day craze, or 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 physical activity type things. It seems like at that age is when they start adopting behaviors that can be very healthy, can be extremely healthy, but are they always rational? They're also trying to mimic adult behavior at that age. Okay. So they're seeing okay. how adults are behaving. Ooh, so adolescents yeah, okay. are watching and perceiving and saying, I need yeah. to start doing this. And they see things in the media that are just, you know, horrible yeah. about what you're supposed to look like and what you're supposed to engage in and what dress size you're supposed to wear, all that kind of stuff. That's just, as the daughter, of, as the father of four daughters, I'm kind of oh my adamant goodness. on that. I also was just thinking too, I don't know, maybe at that at time in your life, you start realizing about things that you can control and things that you can't. And so... I wonder if there you have a lot of young kids too that maybe feel that I can't change my health behaviors or I can't change my situation, so there's nothing I can do about it. Blah blah blah. Is that kind of something that you address in your work too? Is that kind of empowering people with health and taking control of their, over their lives and their bodies? It's a great word you use, control. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what um, young adolescents and adolescents are craving more than anything <laughs> is that sense of empowerment and yeah. control. So if you do um, tailor, I say interventions loosely, but if you meet with them and give them a sense that they have some mastery and control over mm-hmm. things, um, it's a lot easier to work with them because you just sort of respect where they are right. uh, and try to meet them there. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's what, one point we already brought about meeting right. people right where they are. Yeah. Um, Tyler, do you want anything to that? Uh, try to think. So like I guess you're talking about uh, we're talking about walking in here. Um, so I guess like in the 50s and 60s you see like uh, physical uh, edu- or PEX or like that more incorporated in school systems. Like where do you see that? I guess compared to now to then, like does it changing or? Oh, that's a great question. So I think there's a lot of Emma. You want to weigh on this too, but there's a lot of data out there um, that sort of show that, from what I know that a lot of schools are um, decreasing their physical activity. And, um, and there's a move back in the other direction now. But because they feel the need to educate kids so much, um, get so much data in their heads at such a young age, I mean, what kids learn now in kindergarten is what I was learning in first and second grade. So it's being pushed down. And, of course, the easy thing to cut is PE and that kind of stuff. And that's, in the long run, the worst thing to cut. 
Oh, yeah, because, yeah, PE, we know that physical activity at school interprets to higher test scores and more academic success. Well, let's go to Frank on the line. Good morning, Frank and Jackson. How are you? Yeah, I'm listening to these educated doctors, and I am appalled at the comments they're making. Either they're not getting education or they're not doing research. There's no empirical data saying that uh, fast food eating leads to obesity. There's a 20-year study, continuing study, called the China study, uh, a partnership with Rutgers University. That has proven beyond the doubt that the American diet incorporating high-fat, processed foods, uh, and subsidized grain is the cause of obesity in most countries. England is having the same problem. McDonald's showed up, obesity skyrocketed. Immigrants come from overseas, families are doing well, next generation pops up, they get the American diet, and they get obese. There's no doubt about why kids are getting obese, and it's not about exercise. It's about public policy subsidizing frankincense with soybean, corn, and rice, and putting that in the food kind of like soylent green. And for two educated doctors to sit there and say there's only empirical data, there's questions, we're not sure, we need more research, I'm beginning to think that the agribusiness uh, industrial complex is purposely making it so these doctors go get the facts. So please don't say there's no data. Well, I, I think I think Frank Frank, I appreciate your comments so much. And you know, actually, I think we're fully in agreement with you. Yeah. And I yeah. think probably uh, the comments that we had earlier were not as thorough maybe as they should have been, and mm-hmm. that would go on into the conversation because you know it's very clear. It's very very clear if you study uh, if you study underdeveloped countries versus developing mm-hmm. countries versus developed mm-hmm. countries, even in like the the prevalence and incidence of hypertension, diabetes. It's very very clear that when when people move to America, all they got to do is be here for a while, mm-hmm. and it changes. It changes the incidence and prevalence of, of of very common chronic diseases, all those things. So it's very very clear, and you're right on track. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. goodness, I think I think that. You you got sitting here people who are very much policy advocates, probably mm-hmm. to quite an extreme, <laughs> and um and so we'll just kind of put that yeah. in the context of what we're saying because actually we're we are in agreement with just about everything you said, yeah. and it was more just narrowing it down a bit further. Mm-hmm. Well, I can add too, Frank, that definitely when you look at um, emerging economies, they have higher higher raising uh, rates of obesity because you see. Uh, more McDonald's and American kind of food sources coming yeah. in. And that's a big issue because... The westernization yeah, of that, the Eastern world. They've got the double burden of disease kind of mm. going on, still fighting infectious disease and now dealing with chronic disease. We, um, be, we have introduced that to other countries. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there, there's an excellent book about that. Right. Um, I think what I was trying to say is that I think there's a common focus is that it's only fast food and that if you're consuming fast food, you're going to be fat. And if you're fat... You've, you've gotten that way because of fast food, where I think there's a really bigger picture that's going on. Just besides that, there's there's also stress that you have to look at and um, what yeah, what's the economic situation that you're in. And um, but I'm not denying that 
that kind of food oh. is not good for your body. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, think. I think what she's saying, Frank, is, is a very good point about what you're trying to make is it's more complex. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, fast food. There's a lot of the things mm-hmm. we need to target as a society to try to help our people um, not succumb to this. So mm-hmm. we're, we're on your side. Yes. Wonderful comments, Frank. Thank you so much for that perspective, because that just adds to exactly what we're talking Mm -hmm. about today. And um, I hear my music coming. So with with that, we need to take a quick break. break. We'd love for anybody else to chime in. Anybody else to chime in? 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email at healthy at mpbonline.org. So we're Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and we'll be back right after this break. Today, Republicans convene in Cleveland for the first day of their national convention. NPR and PBS NewsHour are here, too. We're teaming up to bring you live coverage each night. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Ifill for speeches, interviews, and analysis live from the arena. Special coverage of the Republican National Convention from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. Tonight at 7 on MPB Think Radio. 227 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit from MPB Think Radio. I'm Debbie Miner. I'm here today with Dr. David Elkin and Emma Willoughby and Tyler Grantham. And we're talking about just some of those different things that influence behaviors. Um, Dr. Elkin is our, our psychologist with us. And so some of those things that, that influence behaviors and some of our obsessions with behaviors and where that starts, whether it starts in childhood and, we, and when we can, can we change it? Can we change it? Is it possible to change it? I think sometimes that probably we substitute one behavior mm-hmm. for another, maybe. Well, yeah, it is like, I, I've seen people that get they get so obsessed with wanting to be healthy that their whole life becomes revolves around like how much am I eating and what kind of food am I eating and when and um I mean yeah maybe they're healthier and they're more fit but is that is that still okay like if your whole life becomes around your your you know healthy fitness routine and you have to show it in everybody's face on Facebook um what do you think yeah <laughs> well I, I think that it's true I think that there's a flip side to it as with everything of course uh, there's a flip I, side I, yeah, and, yeah um, of course yeah. You know, 
the question is, if you substitute behaviors for, let's say, an addiction, um, are the, is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, and it, it can be and it cannot be, um, meaning uh, there's, there are lots of folks that we all know who um, suffered from an addiction to substances, let's say, mm-hmm. and then they quit, they got clean, mm-hmm. and then they became, quote, unquote, addicted, perhaps to um, exercising, let's say running. Okay. okay? Yeah, that's a good example. Um, <laughs> I have a, a good friend that I have in mind, and um, people will say to him, running's your new addiction. And he'll say, you have no idea. <laughs> this is so much better. Yeah. And he's right. You yeah. Know? So you, yeah. you have to be careful here. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and some people you have to sort of say, I've had people say to me, does it have to be something? Do they have to have something that they are just sort of focused in? And sometimes you have to say, yeah. Well, that's some people I, are like that. So I, I just think you, ha- you have to have something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, I did the same thing. Thing and I can tell, um, like mentally, mentally, my husband says it's like Swiss cheese. You know, you you stay so busy, you stay so involved in things, whether it's caring for parents and kids and work and everything. And if you just kind of blend it all together, you're just like, oh my, I'm gonna get overwhelmed. But if you just punch out one little thing of the Swiss cheese at a time, and to me, it's like exercise helps me punch out one at a time. It keeps helps me, I guess, pushing your body physically. It's you know, it's not a matter of weight or whatever. I mean, because it takes a whole lot of running to work off those chocolate chip cookies. A whole lot. Um, but it's more mentally to keep you focused. And, of course, physically, you can say all the other things. Better sleep, better metabolism, bone strength, et cetera. We're talking about that last week. Um, but I will say it's something that, you know, I, I think that's what works for me. That's what works for me mm-hmm. versus taking a sleeping pill and the question is does it become where does it become problematic it, okay, it's so, not problematic see, exactly and yeah. i think the question i wish it would be uh, <laughs> then i would be more regular <laughs> no, no. but the question about whether it's problematic i think can best be answered by those around you um, yeah. those who care for you if if six people in my family come to me and say hey we have an issue with this you need to pay attention to this. then i need to pay attention to it i may not be the best judge of kind of where i am on what i'm doing but i need to be able to trust people who i know mm-hmm. care for me and are watching out for me. And I think that's sometimes where people, another one of the variables Emma, that you're referring mm-hmm. to, people may not have that group around them that they trust and that they can mm-hmm. give them good feedback. I don't know. It's another thing besides mm-hmm. you know, we can help do a study on that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's a good point yeah. because are most people, do they have that fortitude or that insight to, to judge themselves and whether something's you've gone over the deep end with it or not. Do most people, because isn't that part of the, even when we say addiction, I mean, isn't that part of it is you do not have that ability to do that. I put it this way. So people who say folks who struggle with addiction, why can't they just quit? No, they can't. (laughs) All you have to do is say to that person, what I want you to do is I want you to diet for six weeks. Oh gosh. Okay. And I want you to, and our minister actually said this, I want you to, let's say, give up lunch for six weeks. You will crave that so bad, you'll do almost anything. Uh, and that's a part of wh- how they feel. Um, so, yeah, they, it's a very strong thing they're fighting. You need people around you to help you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, and sometimes we think, well, we, we make comments about, oh, well, just quit, whatever it is, whatever it is, just quit smoking, or why can't they quit doing this, or or why can't everyone exercise the amount that we know is beneficial for health or why can't we all eat 
like Frank brought up some of those things that right. why can't we just eat like that? Well, it's it's so much more complicated than that. I think it's also important to ask yourself too before judging others and saying, well, am I doing all of those things? Am I exercising the daily minimum or am I eating all these foods all the time? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> we all are obsessed. With, I love chocolate chip cookies. I, I think there's a place for that. Everybody has to have a little bit of vice, but um, yeah, I think it's important to step back and say like, my following this prescriptive behavior that I'm now thinking about others. Too. Yeah. We're real good at judging others, as mm-hmm. you said, Emma, and yeah. not judging ourselves. Uh, we, we don't like to do that. I had a conversation with a gentleman one time and uh, we were driving and he saw some construction workers and you know, there's like six or seven guys standing around leaning on shovels. Well, I've worked construction. So I know what that's like. It's a very hard job. But he said, look at those guys just sitting around doing nothing, getting paid. And I turned to him and said, how much of your day do you spend on ESPN.com? How much of your time do you today spend on the internet surfing things that is not related to work? And he got quiet. Yeah. I mean, so it's really easy for us to go look at those folks over there or look at that person, um, you know, he or she is obese um, and not you know, judge ourselves. And that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. Yeah. Do you get mad when you called him out on that? Well, he's my ex-brother-in-law, so we're, you know. <laughs> he doesn't live here in the state, so that's good. <laughs> so you could say anything. <laughs> you could say anything. But that's so true because we think we think it's so easy to look at people and uh, look at others and not see ourselves. And then it's so easy to think that there are reasons that uh, that we can attribute particular things too. And it's, it's just not always the case. It's not always the case at all. Mm-hmm. And so I, and sometimes maybe we're just looking for an easy way out. It's easy to adopt behaviors. So, uh, some of these dots and things like that, sometimes maybe that's, that's an easy thing for people to do. Oh, we to- crave structure and kids crave structure and adults do too. So if you, if you give me a schedule, I'm much better. You know, if I know I have to do this, this, and this on certain days, I'm much more likely to do it. So that's what a diet is is basically a schedule for you to do certain things. Um, as long as you don't hold to it rigorously or it harms you physically or harms the way you live with others you care about and love, then it's probably okay. But structure is not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Structure, when we think about that's that's what's prescribed in, in so many parts of our lives, really. Mm-hmm. And people that don't have structure in their lives, is that with with kids, I guess kids... Um, if they, if they, I don't know, I can think of different circumstances and all that, but uh, if they don't have structure, are you more likely to see, uh, I don't know, maladaptive behaviors? Not necessarily. It could be. Again, it's, there's multivariable uh, things going on here, but it's one of those things that sure would help with, it would be one small thing that could happen that could help with other things as well. So, you know, it, there are lots of kids that do just fine in unstructured settings, mm-hmm. you know, just just fine. They make it to adulthood, and they they do great things. But if you had your choice, you know, you'd kind of want to have a child who, during the school year, kind of went to bed at the same time, kind of got up at the same time, ate breakfast about the generally the same time. You know, so it, the world is predictable. Mm-hmm. And if the world is predictable, it's manageable. And the word you used, Emma, earlier was good, controllable. There's a sense of control. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. 
Well, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners, any comments that you may have. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'd love for you to chime in about something that's worked for you, something that's worked for you to to help you maintain healthy behavior. Something maybe it was a substitute for something else like we talked about. And now that has become your new go to balance your life type thing. Or something that you think that we can be do better as a society to encourage healthy behaviors and people. So I hear our music, so it's time to take a quick break. Love to hear from you when we return. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. impaired mpb's radio reading service is here for you our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you for information and to see if you qualify call us at 601-432-6301 catch up on past episodes and hear any of the mpb programs you've missed on the mpb public radio app available on itunes and google play listen live to mpb think radio and mpb music radio Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Shootings in Louisiana, Minnesota, and Texas are testing race relations around the country, and sometimes the tension shows up at work. There are some workplaces where the culture and the environment was already prone to this, so they have got their hands full right now. I'm Ari Shapiro, talking things through at work, plus the latest developments from Turkey, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Today, Republicans convene in Cleveland for the first day of their national convention. NPR and PBS NewsHour are here, too. We're teaming up to bring you live coverage each night. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Ifill for speeches, interviews, and analysis live from the arena. Special coverage of the Republican National Convention from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. Tonight at 7 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Debbie Miner. I'm here today with Dr. David Elkin and Tyler Grantham. And Emma Willoughby. And we're talking about general things that influence our behaviors and our adoption of healthy behaviors or maybe even our uh, avoidance of healthy behaviors. So uh, I'll, we were talking a little bit during the break, so I'll go back to Tyler's question, what we were talking about during the break. So well, just go ahead. 
Tyler, spit that out for us. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to chime in. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Things that, that have influenced you and your behaviors and your decisions and, and uh, your insight to provide for us. So we'd love to hear from you. So I guess, uh, well, I'm a student right now, so I used to be addicted to exercise. Or I used to exercise a lot, <laughs> but I, right now I'm kind of on the back burner, so that plan on getting back into it. But I also have two Labrador Retrievers. Uh so I got to them, started training them, um, and had to do it every day for basically to get that reward to make it up to the next step from being a puppy and knowing nothing up to getting them to HR, like getting a, um, running them in hunt tests and getting HRCH on them. And then now wait until the 31st of July to get, uh, enter them in master hunt or become a master hunter and do other things, possibly run them in derbies and competing against other dogs. So I guess that's an addiction I have in a, Besides, not on the exercise side of things, but an addiction. Um, I think addiction is a strong phrase there. I mean, there's a strong <laughs> word to talk about training dogs. I mean, you know, I think of addiction, you have to have two things, tolerance and withdrawal. Um, so, you know, do you have an increasing tolerance um, for this? And do you have withdrawal if you don't do it? Now we can talk addiction, but I think it's something you enjoy. It sounds right. Like. Yeah. So, so, so that's our, a healthy, that's yeah. a healthy activity, healthy habit. Right. Well, I, sometimes it gets, I guess, to the point where I feel like if I miss this day, it's going to mess up, you know, the next day and then the next day. But I guess. Well, that's well, still in the healthy perspective, though. I say, well, does it? If you miss it, does it mess up the day? Well, not really. I mean, so there you go. but it feels <laughs> like it will if you keep taking it out. True. True. Well, yeah. But then and then you put that in the perspective, Tyler. I know you were talking about like. Like you were talking about running, and you hadn't run in a while, and you got out and ran in the heat of the night, and it was hot, and you thought, oh, goodness, got to get back into that. Yes. But that's uh, that's a healthy recollection and a healthy assessment of where you were, and we're and uh, and you have no tolerance, but that's in the perspective of physical right. capacity. I mean, I would put it like this way. You said earlier during the break, um, when does it become problematic? I think it becomes problematic when people around you that you care about are saying, Tyler, dude, I mean, this is affecting <laughs> everything. And, you know, you, you people will tell you things, but there's an inner circle of folks that you trust. You know, five or six people, when they speak, you listen to them. And when they say things like that, then you it's a chance for you to pull back and go, let me think about this, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just things that you really enjoy doing and have to do to kind of keep saying, I guess. Um you know, we all have our routines and, and things that really hold our attention, like what we were talking about, things that gives us purpose in life, you know. Yeah. And and so, Emma, let's let's go back to um, some of uh, the comments earlier. And and so you have a, a perspective from working in another country and, and doing some study in there about some of the influences of on behavior here in the United States. Do you want to comment any more about that? Um, do you mean in terms of eating behaviors? Or? Well, eating, eating and obesity. Yeah. Well, it is interesting to think about that obesity rates are rising in everywhere around the world, all different yeah. settings, different cultures. Um, I think the common thing that we like to say is that, well, if only we had, you know, like, uh, um, you know, access to health insurance for everybody or public transit or nutritious food everywhere, then we would solve it. But in countries where those things are accessible, you still see rising obesity rates. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, it kind of challenges our, our, our thinking about what is causing all these different, what is influencing behaviors and um, um, healthy choices. Uh, I think it, 
yeah, it kind of gets it like, what policy changes do we need if we're doing mm-hmm. all of these things in some places like in the UK and still seeing an obesity crisis, then what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you influence behaviors both individually or as a population? I think influencing behaviors of a population is very difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, we have examples of things. I mean, we have examples of things that um, you could say works. or, or I mean, just think of, uh, of course, the typical examples people use are seatbelt laws. Seatbelt laws, they seem to work somewhat. True. Um, the other example, I guess, is smoking. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't really think I know anybody who smokes. Um, and it, that wasn't the case when I was in college. Well, you may, you may know someone, but they don't let you know they smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's right. what, but I mean, so but now. in general, I mean, smoking mm-hmm. is not, uh, I mean, it has different effects on different, um, SES, how much mm-hmm. money you make, which is unfortunate. It, I think it has an unfortunate effect on those with uh, less to spend. Yes. Um, in terms of their health. But, you know, how do you influence public policy? You can legislate it. Mm-hmm. You can say from now on, a la Frank, um, now on there we know, you know, fast food and nothing. Okay? Um, but the question you have to ask yourself then is, is that the kind of society that we want to have where we're going to have policy dictated um, from the top down? And maybe if the policy is good for the whole, that's that's nice. You know, sort of brave new world kind of thing. Um, but you got to want to ask yourself, is that the kind of culture you want to live in? And Emma, I mean, you've been in other cultures as well. I mean, you've studied this. So, I mean, what do you think? I think it, I think this is a kind of a broad answer, but it takes movements from all different sides. So from the bottom up grassroots organizations that say, we want change. We don't like what's happening. And also cooperation from government on other levels saying, yeah, we agree. We want to see a different change. But I think if you just have kind of top down policies, it's sort of missing the point. Instead of just denying access to certain things, we're not really getting at, you know, why why do those things exist in the first place? Like, why do we have Monsanto and all of these, you know, uh, very elaborate farm policies and um, subsidies going on? Um, that's that's a bigger question about politics and representation. If we just like cut out soda, you know, like the Bloom, the classic Bloomberg example, no more Big Gulp. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That sort of misses the point about like, well, you know, what about all the power that the soda companies do have or that Coca-Cola mm-hmm. does have? And all they um, contribute to society. Yeah. So I think it's I think it, it requires lots of engagement with lots of different different people, stakeholders and organizations, you know, at least from a, a, at the medical center. You know, I think the more we can work with, uh, you know, community workers throughout the state and understanding what's going on in different communities, that's 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 where we need to go. Well, Lots of and, and so we've mentioned things that work and then mm-hmm. the impact. And uh, and another example is va- uh, vaccinations, vaccinations, yeah. um, vaccinations. And probably I would say now in considering that type of um, governmental influence, we, we have seen now other countries have done this, but more regulation on sodium, <laughs> sodium than foods. And so then, of course, a lot of manufacturers are now have even taken the lead before before uh, their new new guidance from USDA and all about labeling and things like that, and are cutting back the sodium in foods. And so that will that will influence health overall overall. And uh, it's not really influencing a individual's choice because they can still take that salt shaker and add more sodium to something if they need it. But we know that it will influence overall. So I think we have to be very, very careful in 
in the types of things that still allow for individual choice, but then can have can have an impact. Right. Can have an impact. So let me ask a, okay. a, the physician and the, the medical folks in the room um, as a psychologist. Um, okay, so here's the, the paradox to me. Okay. We're going to eat healthier, right? And we're going to cut out fat and cut out fast food and cut out sodium. Oh, but fat's not bad for you anymore. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So we're going to really and eat eggs are healthier. Good for you. That's right. I eat eggs all the time. Okay, so we're going to do that. And so we're going to live longer, right? Mm, maybe. And, and then our brains fail us. Oh, so, you know, it oh, used to be you died when you're 75. My granddad died. Oh, he was from Kosciuszko in you know, his mid seventies. He didn't have a chance to, in a sense, mm-hmm. face Alzheimer's mm-hmm. like that. And so we have members of our family now who are facing that mm-hmm. healthy as a horse, oh, I know. physically healthy oh, and their minds left them. So I'm kind of going, okay, what's the trade off there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rob Emanuel's brother recently wrote in the Atlantic magazine, an article on how he thought 75 would be a good age to die. You got kids, you got grandkids. Let's just go ahead and check out. It was a very provocative article. Mm-hmm. It was about a year or two ago. Um, it got me and among others mm-hmm. thinking. So there is a trade off here. There, there is a trade off. Yeah. It just mm-hmm. kind of makes you ask, like, well, what what are we doing? What's the mm-hmm. what's the point in all this? What? what yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can't, if you can't, and and right now we don't know. I mean, we know certain things. I mean, we know they're trying to trying to eat healthy and all these things that possibly possibly can prevent or delay progression of dementia but like for alzheimer's i mean no mm-mm. so I'm, I'm looking for that that angle in my life i want to be mm-hmm. healthy right now because i'm 50 right but around 60 i need to start doing everything bad so i can just go ahead and just you know i'm just kidding oh, <laughs> oh <no>. well <laughs> see i'm like right there uh oh I i'm mean, right there just, just go ahead me. And no hustle it on yeah i'm just kidding but oh. i think that there's there's a lot of things to consider we also have to think about as you said Emma, it's a complex system here so you you have one you, know, you influence one variable down here, and you have you know unintended consequences down the end. I think that we would all agree that as a society, we need to be healthier. There's we no doubt about yes. it. Yeah. Um, yes. So the question is, how do you do that? Right. And also making sure that certain segments of the population, like understanding why aren't they healthier, and how can we bridge that gap? Can, how can we shrink the health disparities that we do see? Um, well, the, I think, and that's the point of it. How yeah. do we de- decrease those health disparities? Those things that should not happen. Because that's really to a, that's a social population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the whole point. Right, access for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then if we could somehow or another come up with knowing, because I think the the dementia thing is is just so powerful. If we could come up with some way of knowing who's going to develop. I mean, I don't know. That's a <laughs> that. Then how do you address that? But some way of knowing. Uh, Who's going to develop that? Or, or, you know, I mean, that's a, ooh, goodness, a very, very that's a risky area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a can of worms <laughs> to go into. But, like, I, 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 you know what you got to think about now? I'm going to tell you this. If you if you are 50 and you say you need to have those things, you, you need to tell those girls they have to start having kids earlier. Because I'm still waiting on some more grandkids. And I'm 60, see. <laughs> that's a now, conversation. Is, is that something that's, you want to yeah, have? It's a conversation no. I will never have. Uh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> so, you, so I think you need to raise your bar. I think you need to go to about 70. No, I meant so I, I, at 60, I start eating. Bad. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, so I go and pass on at 75 or 80. That's fine. Oh, my you goodness. It, you know. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, let's go to our caller on the line. Let's go to Mikey and Mobile. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, unfortunately, I have to make this comment. Uh, oh, well, I, please I, do. Uh, I love the discussion, um, but I have to throw this in. Um, the prescription drug, I'm not talking about just the opiate addiction epidemic that we have. 
But I'm talking about, you know, that just being kind of the tip of the iceberg for everything. And I'm not trying to point fingers at, at um, anyone particular, but um, there are political aspects. There are political aspects to the practice of medicine itself. There are uh, financial aspects in insurances, and those are political, certainly. There, and then there are the prescription drug companies themselves. So um, I just wanted to bring that up, okay? Oh, I, I, yeah. look, we, uh, well, I've talked to you before. You know I am in your ballpark because everything that I say, and, of course, I'm a pharmacist by training, and people have heard me say over and over, God made drugs for a purpose and the appropriate selection of those drugs, but we should do everything that we personally can, personally, everything that we personally can control and be responsible for, for prevention. Because do I want to take medicines for high blood pressure? No, I don't. Do I want to take medicines for diabetes? No, I don't. Uh, There are, of course, many people who need those medicines, and I'm very blessed that I don't have to take those kinds of things. But the reality of it is, as I get older, you know, we're going to need things. But yes, yes. So yes, anything that we can do to take control, to to protect our health, like Dr. Elkin said, to until age sixty. But I meant eighty. Okay, okay. (laughs) Mike, I think you're raising a good point. I think you're talking about sort of the perhaps over-prescribing. Yes. I think that's, yes. that's a very good point. Yes. And I had a graduate school professor who said Americans have the most expensive urine in the world. Oh. And we, we, we take so many medications, yeah. and you're exactly right. And I think- well, well, people think there's that, and we've done, I mean, we have done studies, but you go, to, that's why there's even a trend in like kids and, and ear infections, and people expect antibiotics for things, and and we've raised that, I think we've raised some of those expect- expectations with direct-to-consumer advertising, and people, mm-hmm. it's a quick fix. It's a quick fix, and it's much, much easier. It's much, much easier than telling someone or, or, or adopting a behavior or something that could right. treat that. Correct, but it comes with side effects often, and it's expensive, as you said. So. And there's also, there's also the expectation a lot of people go into the doctor, and if they don't leave without a pill or a prescription, then they feel like the visit has been not, not successful. And so I think there's also that pressure, too. And by the payment policies that are in place as well, Doctors are pressured to prescribe and give something because um, that plays into reimbursement too. But I think patients also expect it. Like that's just part of the norm going to see the doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, there there are ways that, uh, and, and she brought up. I mean, I think of course valid points. And 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 there are no way are we saying that um, that most things I'll say most things and most prescription medication prescriptions are appropriate. Most of them are. But even when uh, we had uh, Dr. Carroll on a few weeks ago and we were talking about the use of proton pump inhibitors. So Nexium, Prilosec, Dexalent, those type of medications. And uh, there's been so much in the news lately about the potential harm of those medicines. And, you know, a few years ago, we, we said they probably ought to be in the water. They ought to be in the water so they show up in everybody's urine. That those medicines just, we had realized that, of course, uh, uh, stomach ulcers were, were, you know, the way you treat those kinds of things. And so they were considered miracle drugs. And, and now we realize that even though rare, they do have a lot of side effects and that most people do not need to take them for the rest of their life. But that's just an easy thing to do, an easy thing, and we thought it was a harmless thing to do. And uh, now, of course, we're trying to get away from that. So lots of lots of things to consider. 
so and uh and sometimes it is harder like emma said i mean sometimes it's harder and you you work with i, I think it's the much harder side is helping people sort through those things that that you manage without medications correct and getting people to engage in behavioral change and getting them to see the value of it you know um, you've heard me say it before. All I do all day long is get people to do things they don't want to do. <laughs> and that's that's it. And so basically, and how do you, how do you get people to do things they don't want to do? I can't tell you that. Then I give away my voodoo. <laughs> um, I give away my mojo. Um, no, but seriously, there are um, very good evidence based treatment plans that are behavioral and cognitive in nature uh, that can help um, teenagers, kids, adults, anybody deal with some of these uh, behavioral, emotional. Um, psychiatric, psychological difficulties such as depression and anxiety. And we know that the literature is very clear with um, depression and risk for obesity and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and poor healthy habits when you're depressed or even when you're anxious. So if we can get at some of those issues early and help folks learn how to manage those symptoms, uh, at least you know, on their own to have the control over them, then that uh, theoretically would help down the road, downstream, to your people, the adults. Well, I, I think you brought up a good point because – it, it, any kind, the expe- expectations, expectations of an individual and expectations like someone who is in, oh my goodness, you know, just chronic pain, chronic pain that, that overrides all of their functioning. And so we can give medicines to help with that pain, different types, depends on the origin, but there's an, there, I think there has to be an expectation set and we can think about all types of things, whether it's depression, whether it's um, migraine headaches, the expectation, you know, everything may not be relieved. And so that behavioral and cognitive therapy is so, so very crucial, I think, in the management of so many diseases, their chronic diseases, just to make sure that they understand the the value and the appropriate use of medications. And then the expectation of where where all this, you know, where you draw the line with what else is going to be involved in, in dealing with that behavior and going forward. Well put. That's exactly right. Um, getting people beyond the expectation that this is going to fix. Just the one thing is going to fix. It's, it's not going we're away. We're complex creatures. It's not going away. I heard actually on on, thing, on MPB uh, an interview last week, and it helped me in dealing with something that um, I'm dealing with. And it was in the context with, with dealing with uh, dementia and in dealing with people with dementia. And, and you don't, I mean, it's so easy to try to want to change their behavior. No, there really weren't any kids in the room last night. There were not any kids in the room. Don't you know there weren't any kids in the room? But it's more meeting people where they are and not me changing my expectations saying, oh, the kids were in the room last night mm-hmm. and not trying to, you know, resetting. I think it's more resetting my mind than the other person's mind. Very good point. Oh, goodness. That's hard. That's yeah. really, really hard. It is because, you know, if you ever want, if you ever have a, someone who's close to you that you really want their behavior to change, you have to kind of let go in a way and just realize that you can only do so much, but guide them like you, you know, as much as you can, but then at the same time, just kind of be with them and help them figure it out. But it's tough. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Well, I, actually, this kind of brings up a, a good segue into our conversation that we'll have next week. Dr. Scott Rogers. I know you have worked with Dr. Rogers. I have. He's a great, great good guy. You'll love him. <laughs> He's going to be on the show with us and some of the new things that he is doing at UMC and and creating an environment, meeting them where they are in, in a safe environment for our LGBT community. At, at UMC and some of the new clinics that we're developing and all that. So I'm really thrilled that he's going to be with us next week. So thank you all for joining me today. Thank you. Emma, 
Dr. Elkin and Tyler, and our discussion, and we appreciate our callers. So this is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. We're funded in a part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Thank you, Jay. Please join us next Monday at 11 for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and stay tuned. NPR's Think Radio is next. Here and now. forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app. More at bcbsms.com. Well, we're already starting to see the showers and thunderstorms uh, starting to fire up, primarily in the eastern third of the state. So uh, for Meridian, we're going to see off and on showers again, maybe a th-